I feel like I struggled so much with it and I didn't realize like it's so common. So I, I think the thing that helped me the most was like hearing other people's stories. So I feel like I was trying to help by sharing mine in that way. If I listened to this conversation four years ago, I think it would have helped me a lot. You're listening to the Manmukti podcast. This is your host, Deep, And on today's podcast, I'm sharing an intimate and vulnerable conversation between myself, my co-host, Thrishti, and the very knowledgeable counseling psychologist, Dr. Rocky Sen. We're talking all about the impact of body image. So welcome, Dr. Sen. Great to be here. Let's start with defining body image. What exactly are we talking about here? So body image is, I think, something we all kind of get at an intuitive level. But to put it in words, it's the subjective inner picture of what we look like on the outside. So obviously, you know, we all look a certain way, whatever that is. But how we picture ourselves looking Uh, you know, that's kind of the subjective part of it. It may or may not quite match what we actually look like on the outside, but often in our own experience, we go by what we think we look like more so than what we might look like. So body image is our perception of what we look like. And let's be honest, for many of us, that our perception of our appearance tends to be a little bit more negative than, you know, what we might actually look like. So... That would be how I would talk about body image. Yeah, I think that's why we wanted to kind of take on this topic because it is seen in such a negative form Mm -hmm. sometimes. When do you think this kind of starts, this sort of like picture of us? Mm -hmm. Well, it's pretty formative, actually. I think, you know, uh, most... Mostly when we think about ourselves, I think most children, if you think about it, are just, you know, they they probably don't really care one way or the other. They just look the way they look. They see themselves however they seem. But then as we grow older, we start to notice that other people have reactions to how we look. And sometimes that's very directly given to us, like we were told you look a certain way or you're, you know, not tall enough or you're beautiful or you're really pretty or you're dark or whatever it is that we hear from other people. And sometimes we may we may see ourselves not mirrored or you know, we compare ourselves to um, the way media portrays what's considered beautiful. So even if nobody directly tells us something, we will still be looking at the TV shows that we watch or the pictures we see on billboards or in a magazine or online or on social media for that matter, and start to ask ourselves, do I look like that? Do I not look like that? And based on that comparison, we start to then maybe also develop an idea or an opinion of how we how we are and what we look like in the sense of an evaluation. Am I good? Whatever I, do I look good or based on, how do I compare to what's what's around me? I think we put a lot of emphasis on, do I look good? Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, like from personal experience, like, like Dr. Sen, you were mentioning that like early on, sometimes it, it's like how people are perceiving you or they tell you that you're different, right? Mm-hmm. And the first thought that came to my mind was, I remember in kindergarten, 
I was in a classroom full of Caucasians, right? And some First Nations, because I grew up in a Northern Canadian town. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when I say that I'm Indian, it was perceived as, hey, you're, you're so your First Nations, right? And I'm like, no, I'm a different kind of Indian from <laughs> India. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was one girl that came up to me and she's like, you're different. And then mm-hmm. later on in our high school years, she actually backtracked to that as well and said, mm-hmm. I remember when I first saw you, I didn't want to talk to you because you looked different. Yeah. And yeah. that I that created a huge even in high school that had a huge yeah. effect on me that like hey, I am a little different, aren't I? Even though things at home are also different than what I speak to with my friends, mm-hmm. that was already in my head that I look different from everybody. I think fundamentally it becomes an act of comparison um, one way or the other. You know, some people are told that you're really pretty, you're really beautiful, you're really handsome. So, you know, that's also the kind of way in which they may learn to see themselves, you know, and that can sometimes be a burden too, or it might be really affirming to to be told that you're really good looking, you know. So I think it's a question of not how, what you're told per se, but how, how you understand and, and internalize what you're told because there are people who might be told you're pretty, but then that becomes like, oh, I can't afford not to be pretty ever again. You know, I have to be very um, focused on maintaining what pretty looks like. Um, So I have to always maintain my appearance and I have to, I don't know whether that means getting a certain type of clothes or wearing a certain kind of makeup or, you know, keeping your body looking a certain way. So a lot, that can also be a lot of pressure. And if you're told uh, that you're not, you know, meeting standards, so to speak, then that's its own pressure because then I'm different. And I think we often, when we say different, we often hear or mean deficient. You know, difference is just different. But I think when we say different, we often hear or mean deficient. And then that can become a burden as well. So the focus on appearance, becomes comes from a comparison and I think because it's sort of an ongoing process like as a kid that may not matter so much but as you said you know in high school sometimes it matters more then because peers are more important to you at the time and so to feel different from your peers and then be and then feel that as a deficiency can matter more and can have more of an impact at at a later age sometimes than maybe even at a younger age Um, yeah definitely so overall, I think it's, it's like, you know, we live in a world where we're constantly being evaluated at some level. And our appearance is, is a part of us we cannot disown, you know? Like if somebody says to me, oh, you don't look great in that dress, I can decide never to wear that dress again. But if it's a question of how I look, then I can't not be that person. So I think it's a much more personal, intimate way of being um, of it becomes an identity you know so what I look like is a part of my identity to others that's how people recognize me is based on how I look and then how it's evaluated can become a part of how I evaluate myself so this is not just an appearance-based question it can become a question of my identity to myself and my identity to others I feel like I feel like that that whole concept of like relating 
how you look directly to it sounds like you're saying your self-esteem like if other people mm -hmm. value the way I look then I'll start to value myself to an extent like mm -hmm. if other people approve of my appearance then I'll also think like it directly correlates to your self-confidence and your self-esteem and the point that you were mentioning before about like if other people compliment you a lot then you start feeling very happy and then if you feel you don't fit in then you start feeling like your confidence just becomes lower and I feel like in that way I've noticed that with myself you're kind of giving the remote control of how you're feeling to other people and I feel like that's sort of where it becomes problematic because to an extent you're not really it, like okay it sounds sort of like cheesy but it's like you're not seeing your own inner worth you're letting other people mm -hmm. define that for yourself and then you're letting kind of society or I feel like in, in Indian culture it's also very common because aunties and uncles will always be like oh you gained weight or your skin got darker and then you'll start noticing those things even more and yeah. instead of kind of going beyond all of that you focus on those things a little bit more and then I think it also goes back to that idea of control like yeah. you feel like you don't have control over those external things and then you like to gain control you start feeling like like you have to change like nitpicky parts of yourself well I think you're making some really great points Drishti because you know I think again um like I'm thinking how when we, you know, we, we often call this idea mirroring, you know, in some sense, you know, we can't see our own faces, you know, we can only recognize yeah. our face based on, you know, a photograph or mirrors, you know. So similarly to our appearance, in a sense, we cannot really evaluate our appearance till we get some feedback from other people because yeah. they're the mirror in which we recognize ourselves. And if those mirrors are evaluative and judgmental in, in, a, in that way, then we learn to see ourselves in those evaluative judgmental ways. Yeah, so I, I guess like one, one question I have is like appearance is like very important in our society, mm -hmm. right? Like mm -hmm. why, like what type of role does a person's body image play? And like, why is there so much emphasis on appearance and like, how does that relate to their reputation specifically in like our South Asian culture, I guess? Like right. what are you seeing? So, you know, at, at the bottom line, again, like I said, you know, our appearance is just the first way people have any idea of how they recognize us. That's the first, first thing. And there's many other things besides, but that is still going to be the first thing. Now, I will say that if people take time to know us more fully, then, you know, there are other factors like achievement or, uh, you know, personality or actual behaviors. You know, a lot of there's a lot of different ways in which people can get to know another person. Right. Mm -hmm. But appearance is kind of your first one-stop shop. Like the first thing that you see. Yeah. The first thing, right? And that first impression can kind of carry weight depending on what, what they are carrying in their minds mm. based on their expectation or based on their values of what they want to see. That appearance will then be evaluated based on their filters. Mm, like what they think is good, they're going to try to match you to that. And then if you exactly. fit, if you don't fit, they'll kind of place exactly. you in their head. So it's kind of based on their experience mm -hmm. as humans and interacting with other humans. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, that's such a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that remote control analogy is actually a really cool one. Yeah, Drishi, that was really cool. <laughs> But to me, I feel like that's kind of immature, you know, I, as like, as I get older, I feel like to mm -hmm. me, if I walk into a room, I'm looking for, you know, someone that would have hold a good conversation is confident, you know, mm -hmm. I'll always look for the most confident person who's willing to be helpful. Right. And, 
you know, like there's so many more ways to characterize somebody rather than their appearance. <laughs> well, and that is true. And also, let's be honest, you know, um, like body image issues, I think, do uh, affect different groups of people differently. You know, I mean, I would say back there was an, an, essentially there was a time when you it was described as a, as a women's issue, essentially. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the women whose appearances being monitored or, or evaluated. And it's the women who are trying to kind of keep their appearances at, at whatever standard they, they want to see it. But I think over time, men have been catching up, you know, more and more men are reporting dissatisfaction with their own appearance and, and attempting to, you know, and it may not be just their, it's not exactly beauty necessarily, but it can be their body shape. And, you know, there's a lot of um, stuff going on in the men's world around um, exercise and, yeah. and beauty treatments and things like that for them to kind of achieve some kind of a, a, a ideal um, look or appearance. And this may be a random example, but I there was a, recently I was looking at the members of the Indian cricket team, the men's cricket team. And I was looked like they all looked alike to me. Everybody had their hair a certain way. They all had beards. And of course, in their uniforms, I'm just like, <laughs> how does anybody tell anybody apart? But maybe that's the standard, the fashion or the standard of, you know, male looks that's kind of in fashion these days and suddenly everybody on the Indian cricket team kind of looks alike to me yeah yeah that's true actually it's funny that you bring that up because I noticed that with my husband too because I speak to him a lot on like body image issues and you know he's kind of my feedback person you know so obviously like we've known each other for 10 years so our bodies have changed up and down I had a baby etc and for the first time ever someone had told him that he had put on weight and he came up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry that you've been dealing with that for so many years because it had affected me in such a way that no one had ever told me before. And when someone told me it negatively affected me, I can't imagine what it would be like to hear that for years and years. Yeah. And I was like, thank you. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, and that's, that's, I mean, kudos to your husband for getting it at that level. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, yeah, because I think it's also important to say um, that, you know, I think body image issues uh, are disproportionately, um, you know, affecting queer and transgender communities. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think there's a lot more levels and layers that are happening there. But I think it's important to notice that different groups do um, you know, find themselves impacted at different levels by, by these issues. And, you know, some groups get more of a benefit of the doubt when it comes to appearance, because I think if, I think like if you have a lot of money, for example, you know, somehow your appearance doesn't matter quite as much, or maybe you have the money to create the appearance you want, then kind of goes both ways, you know. Um, if you have some achievements to, to speak for, you know, speak for you, like, oh, this person is, you know, an astronaut and went to NASA, somehow then their actual appearance may not matter so much because they'll just somehow be attractive just because they happen to be an astronaut. Or if they're a sumo wrestler. <laughs> well, then they get credit for being a sumo wrestler. And right. In the sumo world, they're going to be considered, or sumo allied worlds, I'm sure they're going to be considered really desirable, you know? Yeah, so it, it's like dependent on social circles, right? Yeah. 
like Dr. Sen, we were talking about earlier how when I was living in the Caribbean, like my body type was considered really attractive. And then when you come back to, you know, America or just North America in general, it's Mm -hmm. like, okay, you're Mm -hmm. considered overweight and you need to be stick thin and you need to stick into these sizes. Mm -hmm. And a lot of fashions nowadays are only made for certain body types. And that is very difficult. It was difficult growing up. It's still Mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's no wonder that people have so many body image issues. And it's hard because I'm not able to express my personality. Sometimes that comes through what you're wearing. And I can't do that because the clothes out there are just not made for me. So over and over again, as these obvious and sometimes very subtle ways, the message that you get is that you're different and different mean, meaning deficient. You know, if I can go into a store and not find clothes that I can wear, then I feel like, well, I don't belong, right? Because this other person can walk in and get something that they can wear, but I can't. That means I don't belong here. Right. And that sense of separateness, that sense of being less than or other than can have kind of a deep-rooted or a deep-seated impact on how we see ourselves and how we see our value. Uh, Because somebody out there made a executive economic decision that we're not going to make clothes for people you know who look a certain way because why that's not important enough that's not good enough that's not you know valuable enough I don't know what made them make that decision but that's the impact that we might have when we encounter the the results of that decision Mm -hmm. and until we keep bringing it up there's not going to be any changes you know, like there's some stores now that, that will have like a curve section or whatever, like a plus size section. And if you don't have it, then you're not considered inclusive, which is great that they're actually bringing that up now, but it's been happening for years and years until someone talks about it. It doesn't, but it also has to be this thing. Like, you know, it's an extra, like there's everybody and plus size yeah, everybody right. and the curvy. And then they right. don't have like all the clothes in the plus sizes as they do in the regular sizes. Like yeah. it's a couple of options. It's like, what do you think? Yeah. I'm not going to be able to pull yeah. this off or what? And then it's like, you're right. It's like the subtle cues around like, oh, this person can't wear that because they look like that. Like they can't wear those jeans or that shirt because I don't know, like their body shape isn't right for it. Right. Which is, right. You're defining like what they're yeah. allowed to wear. I guess that goes back to what you were saying. Like you felt you couldn't express yourself because mm-hmm. the clothes yeah. there aren't there. I was going to add, I also, I was reading this article about how the, the role of like the role of media and all of this and how, um, so like people of color, and I guess I'll speak for myself as a South Asian person, but you kind of have these conflicting messages around like what you have to look like. So most South Asian women can't fit those ideals of Western Mm -hmm. standards of like size zero, super thin, white Mm -hmm. skin. Most of us just can't fit that. And so it's like, you're being told from the media that that's the only body type that's like allowed Mm -hmm. or that's considered attractive. And you just start feeling like, like you, you, it's like, it's something that's such a core part of you and you start finding these things that are just so natural like not like you want to change those things and then you start feeling like that hurts your self-esteem even more and then it's like that whole aspect and then the aspect of like South Asian culture like our family um friends and things like that like they're also telling you Mm -hmm. um like you gained weight blah 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 blah. so it's like you kind of get it from both ends and how that can also kind of really have deep-rooted impacts on your self-esteem as well yeah it just perpetuates it yeah, and I think, you know, and the point that you're making also really 
is important to recognize that, okay, you know, if you go to the Caribbean and there as a, as a culture, as a population, people are like, well, you know, we're never going to look like that. And we don't need to, we won't want to, because where we are, we're perfectly happy looking the way we are. I'm sure even within that culture, there are people who don't fit the norm and have to deal with what that feels like. But, but that norm happens to be perhaps a better fit for, for, you know, those of us who are South Asian, you know, or have a certain, some of our South Asian folks, you know, I mean, again, even within South Asian culture, there's always going to be so many body types and experiences with bodies. But, but then I think what I, I, what I notice is that, especially when I look at media, you know, um, that even in India, for example, which is the media I'm, I'm looking at the most often, we're really kind of, taking on the Western mainstream body type as our ideal, you know, similar to the uh, cricket team, there was an, even an earlier time when I'm like, all these actresses look alike to me. If I didn't, if I hadn't seen them, you know, in some particular movie and I had realized, okay, this, this, and this is such person, but before I knew them separately, they kind of all had a similar look, you know, and they, and they tried and they do conform to this, more white mainstream appearance standards that we have in, in the North Americas, right? I totally agree with you. I feel like when I go to India, I see a different array of women. Mm-hmm. But then when you see them on, like in Bollywood, they do all look the same and they don't really resemble what we see on the streets. Exactly. Like a lot of, I feel like a lot of women in India are very petite. Right. Mm-hmm. And like short, yeah. you know, yeah. small, petite. Mm-hmm. And then depending on what region you go to, like in Punjab, like us mm-hmm. women, we're hefty women, you know, like big bone, tall, mm-hmm. depending on like we're also raising farmers. So mm-hmm. our genetics are different. Right. Mm-hmm. So like depending on what region you go to, you're going to see an array. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because we, we were talking about plus size, but actually the opposite is true as well. Like a close friend of mine recently, we we're looking at clothes and she's like, I hate that I have to wear kids size because mm-hmm. I'm so short. And I'm like, I never had that issue before. I can't believe that this is actually on both ends of the spectrum. This could be an issue. Yeah. 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 Or, or just, just the fact that her family would, instead of like saying, oh, you gained weight, they're just saying you're starting to look so weak. Like, mm-hmm. let's feed you. Like, what's yeah. going on with you? Are you stressed? Are you... It's like, what gave them the right to even make <laughs> assumptions about our lives based on what's happening? Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, on another end of the spectrum, I've heard stories where people are like, oh, you're looking lovely. And what they're really referring to is weight loss. But for that person, it was because of illness. Oh, really serious illness resulted in weight That's loss. so tough. But then people who don't know that history are like, oh, my God, you look great, you know? Yeah. So, so it's kind of, I think what we are, anytime we set a standard and we make it a really narrow standard, we are going to leave out people on either end. Mm-hmm. And, and then somehow that difference will be interpreted as deficient. And then for those people who hear that message over and over again, that can become internalized is that I am deficient, not that the standard is not, you know, kind to me in that sense. And as you said, Drishti, the the self-esteem, you know, impact of that uh, can can be pretty telling. Um, And 
and I think it can it can kind of morph into situations like, you know, think about it. If you think, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not okay, I don't look good, or whatever it is. I mean, at some point you stop even wondering about whether you look right or not, but you can just start thinking that I'm not good enough. And we assume that, well, then who's gonna want to hang out with me? Maybe I don't wanna, or if I'm talking to somebody, some part of my brain is like, well, what are they thinking about me? Maybe they think I look weird. Maybe they're so I'm not even fully engaging in my interaction because I'm really part of me is already judging me but assuming that they're judging me oh my god oh my god literally everything you said word for word okay so I've like struggled with these things a lot and it's like that's sort of the main thing that's in your head like at parties or at gatherings sometimes it's like so hard to focus on your conversation with the person or just that like enjoying the event because you're so like thinking about how you look and if if other people are wondering how you look and if you're accepted in that way um it's like and then like in that way like you just start it like if you're already sort of nervous about the social gathering it just makes that even worse because you start feeling anxious about how you look and then I feel like I guess that sort of morphs into the other question I had for you which is like can body image issues morph into other types of mood disorders and like how common is that um like what are the most common ones right and let's follow that let's follow the breadcrumbs right the trail of breadcrumbs here um so you have the sense of i'm not good looking i'm not good enough and then you go well you know anybody who meets me is probably gonna think i'm not that great right so then even if they're saying that or i mean some people will flat out actually prove it to you and they will say things that you were afraid of hearing and some people may never say it but you're gonna still assume and and maybe kind of count on the fact that they are having those uh, expectations or those opinions of you yeah like sometimes they might not even be thinking that but because you have those thoughts in your head you just make assumptions about everyone which also makes it worse but sorry right so then, you know, you end up feeling, I'm so, I'm, I'm kind of still like, so I might feel, start feeling really self-conscious. And mm-hmm. then when I'm feeling really self-conscious, then I might start to keep like, you know, pull, pull back and maybe keep withdrawing socially. And then, you know, and then maybe somebody just makes a very you know, random comment, you know, um, hey there, you know, are you coming? No, no, you, you guys go along, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just say stay over here because I'm not sure of my welcome. Right. And then and then that can lead to progressive kind of social withdrawal. It can lead to a lot of relational insecurity. So if whether it's in a family or in a romantic relationship, there can be the sense of, well, I'm sure they don't think I'm attractive. I'm sure they think that I'm not up to the mark. And if that's happening, even if you get or don't get that message, you act like it's there. And then that pulling back can sometimes be baffling to people around you they're like what happened you know we we're, we're just having a conversation where'd you go to or you never you never want to come anywhere with us you know so there's a kind of social distancing that can happen um i think uh, kiran you made a very good point when you said that um earlier that you know there can also be like sexual insecurity like how how can i be you know, freely engaging in sexual activity when I'm constantly wondering, how do I look? How do I look? Is this, you know, is this too little? Is this too much? And and then that kind of thing can really take over our our minds, you know, takes up so much space in our day-to-day functioning to a point that sometimes we're not even aware of it, but it really detracts from being present with people, being focused on tasks, being uh, able to just be spontaneous perhaps because everything requires a lot of preparation 
And, and with all that effort and all that energy that goes into managing this, it's not surprising that people can go into you know, depressive or anxious kinds of um, spaces. You know, like if you're constantly worried if somebody's gonna like you or not like you, that can be anxiety producing. If you're convinced nobody's gonna like you, that can be kind of a depressing thing to sit with. Yeah. And, and so you're kind of moving into those places. And then we can also move into this kinds of things like, what can I do to fix it? And then you're trying to move into, okay, maybe I need to exercise more. Maybe I need to eat a certain way. Um, and I can only eat these things. I can only behave in these ways. So then that can create a kind of rigidity, which then takes up even more of your life and more time and energy in your life. Yeah. So basically it can, it can, it can, it's like a spectrum. So it can kind of turn into either mood disorder type of issue or other extreme being like disordered eating type of situation. Like mm-hmm. when you're trying to change it. So either right. you're or they can come together as well, right? Like you can have the mood disorder with a form of Right, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's such a common joke we hear everywhere, you know, the wife asking her husband, um, do I look fat in this dress? You know? I mean, it's it's a joke, but it's really not a joke when you think about what it what it actually is saying, you know. Yeah. Like she's looking for validation. Yeah, she's looking for validation. Am I still attractive? Do you still think this is not going to be, I mean, will you be critical of me? And of course, on the men's side of it is there's no right answer to that one. You know, I mean, I, I, it, it, so again, it creates a kind of relational tension where you can't say anything because the word, you know, saying, yeah, you look a certain way. It's just not an objective statement. It's always comes loaded with so much judgment even if it's whether it's meant or not it's always going to be yeah. with a lot of judgment for anyone listening I would say the right answer is you look fantastic but do you <laughs> feel good do uh-huh. you feel great that is more important <laughs> I like that I was gonna also add I I remember one thing I discovered or like an insight that I had around all this that helped me a lot was like everyone's it kind of touched on what we talked about before but like the way someone perceives you, like your appearance, is solely based off of their version of what looks good. So it's like, you kind of have to define that for yourself. Otherwise, you're just going to keep that, that like image is just going to change. Like it's sort of like non-existent. Like if you think about it, because everyone has a different one, it doesn't really exist. So unless you define it for yourself and you go beyond like appearances, you're never really going to be satisfied with it. Um, I think that's something that I'm that's still totally like, true. coming yeah. to terms with, but I definitely realized that a while ago. Um, so we kind of talked a bit about how body image, why it's important. Uh, Dr. Singh, can you talk a little bit more about how it can affect us in at a societal level? Okay. Yeah. And that's actually the thing that sometimes doesn't get talked about as much, but there is research to show that um, you know, you can be discriminated against in, in places like jobs, right? You can apply for the same job and somehow the more attractive, quote unquote, attractive person gets the job and regardless of the equal qualifications. Um, and I think that adds a layer of discrimination that can happen at the level of, um, you know, just getting other opportunities because people then will project Ideas like, oh, you're not a good candidate because you're probably lazy if you look a certain way or you don't have control over your instincts or whatever if you look a certain way. So those kinds of 
um, decisions can be influenced by assumptions of that nature. Um, there's a lot of discrimination that can also happen in the health world. Um, people who are larger have reported that sometimes doctors just don't even really look at what they're actually presenting with. They're, they just say, just lose weight. And not to say that there are times when that's not a reasonable uh, you know, decision, but but they're not even really asking, like, what are you actually going through? And sometimes they have been denied proper care or misdiagnosed or undiagnosed because somehow the assumption is if anything is wrong with you, it's because of your weight. So, so those are some also larger systemic ways in which uh, body image issues can affect us, and unfortunately, in a negative way. Um, and and just on a on a quick also a side note of when you see people in the media who are larger, they also tend to be represented in a certain way, which is kind of mm-hmm. meaning or not the same kind of respect or admiration yeah. somebody else who is so-called conforms to the attractive standard will get. They're not the leads, you know, yeah. in, the, in the stories. It's like yeah. usually sometimes some part of their personality, not in all cases, is usually tied to that part of their body and in like some implicit way like they're definitely those connections they don't get to be the leads they're always somewhere on the side they're often the ones supporting the lead person who is of course you know fits the standard of Mm -hmm. whatever attractiveness there is and and so I think again the message continues to be that if you have a certain shape or a size then you're not um it kind of restricts you like there's not there's some things that you can't do and I think, you know, again, yeah, it, some things just get covered up, you know, and, and sometimes doctors have, I've definitely heard stories where the assumption is that be, everything is because of the weight, not to say that something yeah. may not be related, that's possible that some things are related, but not every single thing is because of the weight. And on the flip side, there are people who may have, um, you know, a, a certain weight, but are actually just healthy, but according to all other markers you know yeah yeah somebody who's very thin can also have diabetes and somebody who's overweight or so-called overweight um may not Mm -hmm. it's not a one-to-one correlation it's not a causation but it's often treated as such so health and size are often conflated you know so so there's all those things like healthy equals a certain body shape and a certain weight so so I think those are larger systemic ways in which I think um, body image can, and then we see ourselves as being defic- deficient based on those kinds of messaging as well. So mm-hmm. but just saying that, you know, at an interpersonal level, at the larger social and systemic levels, I think there's ways in which this, the message is that you're not good enough or you're not, um, you're lacking, you're deficient. Yeah. So I guess like uh, there's so many correlations, like you said, between how like what's healthy and the way you look like and I feel like that can also sort of lead to like people finding different like eating patterns or nutrition patterns or exercise patterns to fit that like even if even though their body might be completely healthy they might not feel healthy because they might be overweight or underweight and then they can start changing their diet or exercise patterns in unhealthy ways to match that so I guess like how else does body image then lead to like food disorders? 
Well, I think if we think about our appearance and our body being a combination of genetics and the environment, right? So we all come with a certain set of genes, kind of like you said, Karen, you know, you come from a certain area and and big boned and tall. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know, or uh, I personally was never called short till I came to the US because I never saw myself as short, but suddenly here I am and I'm being called <laughs> short. I'm like, wow, who are you talking about? <laughs> so, so, you know, so much of it is, <clears throat> so much of it is relative and based off of the local standards, but we, we come in, you know, regardless of what the standards are, we come in with a certain set of um, genetic predispositions and that's what we're going to look like, you know, and impact of you know geography or nutrition and so what's available in the in the environment around you um how much you can afford you know so those kinds of things do play a role in how your genes are expressed but but that's within the parameters of what your genes are um but when we try to attain an ideal that's kind of arbitrarily set regardless of our our you know genetic capacity or propensity, uh, we can start to do things that are not realistic or healthy or balanced. So very often, I think, you know, a lot of people will want to restrict their food intake, you know, as a way to say, okay, and, and you know, up, up to a point that's gonna potentially help you lose weight. But, but if that, that continues to be something that people keep doing, it can result in a more rigid way of relating to food you know food then becomes something that's good or bad versus food being food you know we start to develop this very rigid relationship with food um, and see it as something that's bad something that's like almost an enemy Um, and we may lose our sense of enjoyment and compassion around eating you know Um, and we can maybe start lacking balance and variety in what we eat so that kind of rigidity is by definition not a healthy relationship with food yeah um i feel like it's sort of like you know how you were saying earlier with body image like you put a lot of restrictions on yourself and it takes a lot more preparation to mm-hmm. like do things it's like the same thing with food you just start putting a lot of rules around it and right. it's like like social eating then becomes a whole issue for you because yeah. it's like not like you said it's not enjoyable and mm-hmm. i feel like it's like it's like when it starts in invading your daily life and things like that it's like when it gets to an unhealthy level yeah and then we start associating food which is an essential part of our lives we can't go without it but mm-hmm. it's the very act of eating or food by itself becomes associated with guilt and shame then that makes yeah. it makes a very toxic kind of a connection and and then imagine eating and then feeling ashamed about eating every single time that somebody's eating so I mean that's so those are some really um ex- at, 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 at the more in, intense or extreme level we can really get preoccupied with things like that um and that can again take further away from our daily living activities you know uh, in terms of social and and relational kinds of tasks um Sometimes we start, you know, exercising that's either too much or too little, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it's like over-exercising, we see exercise as something good, which it is, and then, but over-exercising can also cause injuries, and it can also cause other kinds of problems, which, you know, is not appropriate, not to mention it takes up even more time, it takes up even more space in your life. So, so, so- those- Sorry, just tying into this. So basically what you're saying is on both extremes, 
the common denominator here is body image. So either you're having an unhealthy relationship with food or you're exercising to the point where you're physically trying to change your body. Uh Uh So in both ways, it's kind of unhealthy. But then what I'm trying to understand is at what point is it so unhealthy that, okay, we need to now talk about this and Mm -hmm. try to handle Mm -hmm. the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's, that's a, that's kind of on a continuum as well. And it's sometimes hard to know when it falls into that category, but in general, I think, oh, I will just also add in that money can get involved. You know, if somebody wants very specific, uh, procedures to correct or, you know, uh, change a particular aspect of their appearance, then that can mean a lot of money depending on what kind of procedure or equipment that you end up wanting to do that. So, so like I said, it takes up a lot of real estate in our lives. And um, the point at which it needs attention is the point at which it becomes dysfunctional. I think of it as a tipping point of when does your quality of life go from you know, manageable and reasonable and allows you to do whatever you need to do to tips into, well, you know, um, the rest of my life is kind of on hold because everything is now about appearance and maybe food and maybe exercise or, you know, or preoccupation with it. So sometimes it's not even the behaviors, but the preoccupation itself can get so intense that it just, again, takes over your life. So to me, that tipping point has to do with quality of life, you know, and at a health level, it's not always visible from the outside, but at a health level, some of these eating behaviors can also have other health uh, consequences. You know, your electrolytes can be off balance, your nutrition can be challenged. You know, you may, I mean, yeah, you want to do well in school, but if you don't have the nutrition for your brain, then your brain is not going to function as well. Focusing might become difficult or just, you know, you may not have the strength to do certain things, you know, depending on what kind of behavior is being engaged in. If you're injured, then that's going to take, you know, um, time and and effort away from your rest of your life. So I think it's, it's the, it's that tipping point of when your quality of life becomes not healthy and, And a lot of it is hidden. I wish there was a way to just point to a thing and say, okay, at this point here, you were there now. But a lot of it is hidden and it's a combination of factors. Right. It seems like it from our conversation because we talked about, okay, unhealthy eating patterns. We talked about over-exercising. We talked about sort of body dysmorphia in the sense that you want to have a series of uh, cosmetic procedures. We talked about mood disorders where you're just literally shutting down and not wanting to talk to people. Like the presentation is so variable. Yeah. So I'm sure the, the way you need to handle it is also variable as well. Absolutely. Um, I think, you know, um, the, 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 and again, this is kind of tricky too, because we handle it not just at the individual level, but we're also having to handle it at the societal level, because so many of the mess, so much of the messaging comes from sources that we're not even directly in touch with, you know, but we look at Facebook and there's all of the stuff and we look at a billboard and there it is. And so, you know, we watch a TV show, we watch it because, you know, we want to enjoy what's in the show, but somewhere in the back of your mind, you notice that everybody in the show has a certain body type, even if you're not noticing it, it, it 
it's actually filters in unconsciously. So, you know, it's about becoming aware of those things and making some choices about what kind of messages and images do I want to expose myself to? Mm-hmm. And if I can't control it, which many of us can't because we're still gonna wanna watch TV and other things, to be what I would call a critical consumer, you know, um, and, and be aware and maybe have that conversation with each other. Oh yeah, you know, um, I will say this and whether we include this in the podcast or not, but there's a movie I recently saw called um, Ram Prasad Ki Tervi. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's on mm-hmm. Netflix, it's called Ram Prasad Ki Tervi. And that is a story of a family and that's a family of large people. Even the kids were larger, you know? And that was never a comment. Nobody made a comment about it. There was never a joke about it. There was never any kind of, uh, like any any acknowledgement, but they were just showing a family and that's just what the family looks like. Mm -hmm. And I noticed it because that's so rare. Yeah, that's true. And like this world of just cookie cutter, Mm-hmm. images on tv it's so rare and kind of refreshing to see it like like for example another tv show that I watch Grey's Anatomy when I first started watching it's been on for like 13 14 years uh-huh. um and when I watch like some of the earlier episodes they are just you know Caucasian thin very good looking drama Mm-hmm. Just the usual stuff. And when you look at some of the episodes now, they have so many different types of relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, they address so many different types of uh, like not just body types, but just uh, lifestyle types. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I think society is changing because we're actually speaking up about it. Like, hey, yeah. that's not even that's not fair. Like, yeah. it's not fair for you to include and talk about relationships if you're not going to be talking about LGBTQ communities. It's not fair for you to type of, talk about different health concerns if you're not talking about how it affects uh, how health disparities are different in African-Americans or even South Asian cultures, right? Right. So, yeah, like, I think the body image thing is kind of catching up to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see, like, different sizes and shapes and colors. And it, it's, you know, like, sometimes it gets a little bit like, okay, is inclusivity and representation that important? But then when you see it, it's like, yeah, it is. It is it very important. It matters. Especially yes. when you realize how little of it there was. Sometimes it may feel like, okay, this feels forced. Maybe it is. But it's still... Is it, it really makes you see how little there was before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. And, 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 you know, I think so kind of being critically consume, consuming critically the media and all the stuff that we see around ourselves is a really important part of being able to be able to say, well, you know what, I may not look like that, but I look like this and that's okay because so do many other people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that, and that if there's something, you know, there's a quote unquote problem, like, you know, whatever health issue or whatever, then that's its own thing. That's its health issue. That's not an appearance thing. That's not a, I have failed to meet the standard thing. You know, that's, that's just its own thing. Like, okay, how, like with any health issue, if I had a, you know, if, if I had a, I don't know, injured finger, my concern is how to fix the finger, not does my finger look the way a finger is supposed to look. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I wouldn't put my finger in a cast because it doesn't <laughs> look 
like the ideal <laughs> that's true yeah. and sometimes it's simple things you know like hair I feel like yeah. hair is a huge conversation in body image too you know mm-hmm. like oh I hate my curly hair I wish I had straight hair I wish I had thick hair I wish I had thin hair long short whatever yeah <laughs> or yeah. for men I wish I had hair all together <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge body image especially for men yeah So just kind of being aware and being able to have that conversation out loud and being able to affirm and validate each other around it is a really big part of how we can cope with this and how do we deal with it. And even recognizing, and it doesn't mean that we'll stop having our insecurities, but to be able to say, look, I'm really insecure about my hair. Okay. And and I can hear you in that and I can, I can be with you in that and not judge it for being there, but understand that, yeah. You know, you're not the only one. And many of us have a similar concern. Maybe right. it looks a little different, but it's the same concern. Right. It ultimately leads to the same feeling of not being included in that subset of whatever is normal or accepted right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's that's good that you brought that up because that was kind of what I wanted to tie into. Because a lot of times what happens is we hear these podcasts and we're talking about these things, but then we don't really know like how can we move from there or have these conversations, especially conversations with parents? Like that is always like a huge topic. Mm-hmm. So where, what kind of advice would you have for somebody who wants to kind of, or they feel like they need to seek help, but then they want the support of their friends and family? Right. I think that's another one of those where, you know, I wish we could change our parents, you know, we and sometimes that's possible depending on the parents and our relationship with them. And sometimes that's not. Um, And I think we have to, again, start with, okay, I need to be clear about my values and my opinion about who I am and how I am and be able to say, look, you know, I I know you mean well, but that's hurtful. You know, you can acknowledge their intent, maybe, you know, I mean, how many of us have heard statements like, well, if you don't look a certain way, you'll never get married, you know, like that's a pretty common thing. And that's a high stakes thing in our culture and I think you know parents may be coming from a place of oh my gosh you know if my my son or daughter is doesn't get married that'll be a really big problem now Mm -hmm. I understand their concern you know and but but when but presented like that it's not helping it doesn't help anything Um, and to be able to say look I know you mean well I know you're worried about me but this isn't helping. And honestly, I'm perfectly healthy. Or, you know, can we just not focus on this all the time? Or, you know, like, just kind of state your needs, state your boundary around that in as respectful, but as clear a way as possible, while acknowledging that maybe they're coming at it from a place of some level of concern and, you know, like care, but that that's not working. And if somebody's being flat out, critical, which people are sometimes, you know, you, you just have to make that decision that I can't take this, you know, like I I choose not to internalize it Mm -hmm. and then maybe seek the support where you can get it. It is really important to have that fallback position of support and validation, Mm -hmm. you know, because even if you can do it for yourself, it can get all to be a lot. And so having somewhere where you have a, a, a community or peers or some place where you can, when you can go back and say, oh my gosh, you know, the, today was hard. My, my 
parents were at it again, or, you know, um, I watched the show, but I'm feeling really icky after that, you know, whatever it is, like just having that place where this can be something you don't have to hide is useful. But when it comes to parents being clear, respectful, and also being mindful about what you want to take in and what you don't want to take in. Yeah, I feel like that sounds so simple and easy, Dr. Singh, but like, <laughs> I'm like physically imagining myself having this conversation as a teenager with my parents and I'm like scared, like scared to even say anything like that. Yes. Is this like, is it like no, that with yeah. you do or what? <laughs> no, I feel like... Like, okay, I think my parents would be pretty, they don't really talk about body image stuff, but I'm imagining myself like at a family friend's house and, you know, one of the aunties is like, oh, your skin got darker or, you know, like, whatever. And I'm imagining myself saying, like, you know, I really don't like when you say that, like, I don't think, <laughs> like, I think like, right. it's something that I probably should say, uh, maybe on the side even, or like, I could like, I don't know, like tell my mom to like tell her not to, I don't know, something like that. But I think it, it is pretty challenging just because I feel like my reaction is like, I feel like they would just sort of laugh and then that would make it worse. Exactly. Like, yeah. Why, why are you taking so hard? I think we need allies. We need allies in this process. And you're right. It is a lot easier said than done. It is a lot easier said than done. We can sit here in a podcast and make these claims, but when you're face to face with the aunties and the parents and the you know even the peers you know who can make really cutting comments it's a very different reality because we're hooked you know we care about these people I mean the reason we care about any evaluation really is because we want to belong you know and when these statements are made they are rejecting they are telling us you don't belong you belong somewhere else you're an outsider because you're not in the in group of you know, the people who look a certain way. And so it, it's a very deep wound, de- depending on, you know, how it's presented and experienced, because it can feel deeply rejecting. It can, quest- it can question our sense of belonging, even with the people who are supposed to most closely belong with, like our family, you know. Yeah. Um, and so I completely acknowledge that it's not simple. Maybe we also need to consider other options, like, okay, if somebody says it, how do you not respond, but also maybe just deflect? You no, know, maybe use humor. You know, if somebody says, oh, you got mm-hmm. darker. And, uh, you know, I mean, is there a way to kind of laugh it off without, you know, without touch on it a little bit more subtly? Yeah. Know? Right. Right. You know, I, I remember somebody telling me once, and, and this is not directly about appearance, but it was like, oh, when are you getting married? When are you getting married? This constant pressure and their response was well when I do you'll be the first to know (laughs) know? like it's important to you we'll let you know (laughs) (laughs) you know without getting into that oh my gosh yeah it'll be next year or I know I'm still looking or I'm still wondering oh I'm and and feel bad about it but kind of respond to it from a place of well you know um, you should be the first to know or oh you gained weight well glad you noticed (laughs) You know, like, I don't know if that's the response you want to give, but finding a response that you can give from a place of confidence and respect even. Right. But but not to engage with that and then get hooked into feeling the guilt or the shame or the 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 rejection that mm-hmm. you feel when, when those messages come towards us. And also thinking like, does this person's opinion matter? 
Because the truth is there's always going to be something that someone is going to comment about and it's Mm -hmm. either going to hurt us because we're sensitive about it, or Mm -hmm. it's just going to, we're just going to brush it off. You know, like I get Mm -hmm. asked all the time now, like, when are you having your second child? Like you should give your child another sibling. And to me, it's like, you don't know what's happening in my life and you shouldn't even be talking to people about that. What if I was struggling to have another child, mm-hmm. you know, or what if I choose that I wanted to focus on my career? Like, what do I have to sit here and explain it to you? Like, yeah, I think like as a society, I think we just need to be a little bit more sensitive to other people's lives. Like there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes yeah. that yeah, just brush off. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the piece to also hold that, People don't know the, they don't know our behind the scenes and maybe we don't know their behind the scenes, right? So the person who compliments somebody on having lost weight, but maybe they were really getting treated for cancer, like that's really not a compliment, but mm-hmm. they don't know the behind the scenes and the, and, and, and it's just like, but I know my behind the scenes and I can go, you know, like, wow, that's just <laughs> it's true it's so true Mm -hmm. after I got married I I went for we went for our honeymoon to Hawaii for 10 days and like we were out in the sun like pretty frequently and I came home and my mother-in-law had made a comment about oh my god like my daughter-in-law got so dark in like the last 10 days or something like that right and I will never forget that comment I don't know why it was just like ringing in my head Mm -hmm. so you know like obviously I was tanned I can't wait you know the tan goes away and you get back to the but then I got really obsessive about about using like vitamin C on my face to make sure I'm sunscreen like crazy. And then over the last month I saw my brother and he looked at me, he's like, you look like you need some sun. And I was like, there's no pleasing these people. Like, I'm so proud of my complexion now. And, and just to put that in perspective too, that, um, you know, while we're being told that we're too dark, people who are fairer skinned are now mm-hmm. black bronzers and, you know, tanning yeah. this and that to, to look more brown. So again, I think it's like, you're never good. Like, it's just never, there's just never a middle ground. Like there's going to be a problem regardless of what, right. what you know, like sometimes I said, Oh, I'm just genetically tanned. You know, I don't need- <laughs> <laughs> um, I, like I feel that. like what, what you guys were just, or what we were talking about just now kind of goes into that last question that we had around like or sorry not the last it's not the last question but like how do we be better role models for new generations and I feel like it's you guys kind of answered it where it's like you kind of have to be a little bit more sensitive and self-aware about other people's lives Mm -hmm. and I think it's also kind of what we talked about at the or like in the middle with society and like making sure that everything is inclusive but I don't know is there anything else that like we could do to be better for the future? I think there are a couple of other points which are like, you know, being really uh, understanding about the concept of health at every size. Mm -hmm. That health is not tied to a particular weight or size, that health can be at every size and being able Mm -hmm. to understand that and 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 recognize that for some people you know there's a lot of research that if we go into now that would get really big but like you know there's there's a there's a set point theory that all our bodies are genetically programmed to be a certain size you know mm-hmm. so you know and, and and no matter what you do your bodies will change with time with with experiences you know somebody has a baby they get older mm-hmm. you know they're they're hormonal balance shifts for one reason or the other you know all those things 
will always be impacting us. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, so that we're, we're not ever going to look one particular way all the time, no matter what. And being able to understand though that variation is natural. There is something called health at every size and that we can be many different sizes, but we can still be healthy. And that's more about lifestyle than it is about and and have body positivity you know like there is beauty in so many different shapes and forms you go to the caribbean then a certain version of us is beauty and uh, you know you go back a few years and marilyn monroe was considered beautiful and you know and she was much larger than our current current standards of beauty or you go back a few centuries and and you see the you know italian masters paintings and then those women were a lot more um, you know, had were bigger body than than is considered you know acceptable now. So mm-hmm. understanding that this is not set in stone. Variation yeah. is the norm, and health is at every size. And and our reasons for seeing this as a standard have many other influences, economic and social and racial and, you know, and then we can get into the politics of it all, but understanding that these standards are somewhat arbitrary and they're arbitrary at any time and any place. Mm -hmm. That people or any population is always more diverse than whatever standard we set for it. Mm, Like understanding that there's a lot more diversity than what we might see. And like, I also understanding at the same time that that diversity is going to change throughout. I feel like kind of what you're getting at too is like taking away emphasis from like what you're seeing in appearances and more to like shifting it more internally. Um, And I think like, like one example I can give is like, I feel like as someone who struggled with eating and body image, I feel like when I started focusing more like with the food particularly and how that food was making me feel versus Mm -hmm like other things or how my workout was making me feel and like really intuitively trying to eat and intuitively intuitively trying to work out I feel like that helped me the most because you're kind of focusing more on like internal things rather than external because you're right like that changes that um is a lot more dependent on a variety of other factors yeah and food especially in south asian culture just food you know it's not just something you eat so you can you know do this task food is and actually everywhere but food is about you know celebration and 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 punishment sometimes but also reward you know Mm -hmm. the food is used in so many ways we learn to interact with food at so many levels I mean true story ice cream is something my mom and I used to share as our own special treat you know Mm -hmm. And to this day, anybody who knows me knows how much I love ice cream. You know, even when I'm not sharing it with my mom physically, something about ice cream has that connection in my Mm -hmm. mind. I think, you know, I mean, I'm not even doing it consciously, but I'm very aware that that was our special thing. And it is special to me forever now, whether no matter how many people wag their fingers at me and say, that's not a good idea. But I know that it's going to mean something different than just ice cream, right? Right. Um, we have our celebrations, you know, you make certain foods and certain festivals, then that has its own meaning. And if you go, oh, that's too rich, or that's too this or too that, then then that kind of takes the joy and the meaning out of that experience, you know? Mm-hmm. 
So we may be coming at it as food is fuel. You know, food is just what we need to, to eat. You know, we just need, need it for our survival. But in that moment, food is how we celebrate, you know, or food is comfort. Like, oh my gosh, after such a long whatever day, you know, somebody gives me some, in my case, potatoes of any variety, you know, <laughs> that just makes me feel so happy. And so the comfort value of potatoes in my case is something that I, I recognize that that's just what it means to me. Now, again, somebody could wag a finger at me and say that's, you know, nutritionally, that's not great, but, but it means that to me. So we also have to understand the symbolic meanings of food. And when taking away food can mean punishment, or if we say, oh, you have to eat your vegetables because then that becomes a punishment. So food also has so many meanings in our life other than just a number or a caloric number or something like that so understanding all the complexities of what food means to us and how it is how we experience it plays a role in how we how we relate to it Um, and what is realistic to cut out and what's not realistic to cut out and should we even cut out anything because ultimately it's about balance and and you know flexibility Yeah, I would say the media plays a huge role in this one too, not just, you know, body image, but like, you know, they're saying like, oh, well, you shouldn't be consuming this much dairy or you should be a vegan now or whatever it is. Try telling that to a farmer in Punjab that don't have dairy. (laughs) Right, exactly. Right. So, but that is definitely a whole other podcast topic. We're going to have to have you back on that, on for that. Okay, and the last thing I want to talk about is that, you know, when we when we recognize that, you know, health at every size is a thing and, and, you know, also that we can we can be healthy and and enjoy food in a balanced and and diverse way, you know, sometimes it becomes hard to convey that to, let's say, the practitioners, I was thinking about how many dietitians, if you wanted to consult one, could tell you what a dal chawal meal will do versus they can tell you you can tell you about a piece of chicken and then a cup of peas and you know but that's the western way of eating those patterns of food are western and that's how they will often see nutrition but our style of eating is just a different style and that's not recognized so that's not you know that's not considered when somebody might be trying to tell you how to eat so-called you know um and, and I think about like, so, so even having these institutional practices be inclusive, you know, like when you're trying to, let's say, work with somebody and you say, well, you know, this person, the South Asian person is unlikely to take one piece of chicken breast and count the calories in that one. <laughs> Probably going to have it as part of dal jowl or roti and, th- and it's going to be a a combination or somebody says oh you know turmeric is the new thing you need to have so much turmeric well, we don't know how much turmeric we have it's in everything right right I was trying to explain that to one of my friends that you have to you have to take these things in culinary portions you oh. know like and you know I saw some recipe about someone making turmeric golden milk whatever they call it now and they're adding like <laughs> one one to three tablespoons of turmeric and I'm like are you serious like, first of all, you're telling us that this has been around for centuries. Indian people have been using it for anti-inflammatory benefits, but like culinary portions, people, culinary portions. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think also honoring what we know, mm-hmm. you know, because I think 
when we are a minority, then the, the systems of knowledge don't always honor what we know because, mm-hmm. not, you know, and so we, again, that difference, you're different and therefore you're not good enough. But, but, you know, I think now they're saying, well, you know, rice as a carbohydrate is often considered don't eat, but then apparently rice and beans or rice and dal is what they call a complete protein now. So mm-hmm. suddenly rice is okay if you have it with dal, which we've theoretically always had. <laughs> You know? Right. Yeah. So it's also about, I think a lot of this goes back to whether as a culture or whether as a person being honoring of ourselves and not being dictated to by these messages that keep wanting us to be less than. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's a really good point. It was just one last thing, but I feel like for people uh because this is on body image and eating but sometimes like for people trying to find healthy eating patterns it can be sort of frustrating when you're from a south asian background because the food that you're eating at home like it's not really represented in media as healthy mm-hmm. or not so then that makes you feel uncomfortable with what you're eating and that can actually like if you are particularly susceptible make you feel like it can disorder your eating patterns more because then you won't yeah. want to eat what's yeah. at home and it kind of puts more restrictions in that way yeah. so yeah, that's another. I think that's a really valid point. And speaking of how these things develop, I mean, you know, kids who bring certain food to school. Yeah, exactly. And how that is reacted to, how that's treated, can sometimes affect how they want to interact with that food. You know, they may devalue their own cultural f- food from their own homes, from their own culture, because it's smelly or it's weird or, it, you know, like you don't eat it with a knife and fork or, you know, like, so then all of those things go like, you then now I have that food either. Yeah, so all these so true. Of how we start to then treat the food that that's actually damn good. You know? Yeah, and, and it's so weird because that food is actually like, because you know how home cooked food is technically like supposed to be very healthy. Like you start completely undermining that whole aspect of it. <laughs> yeah. You like I don't know. You just start eating other food when the food that's like the healthiest for you is literally like in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> home cooked meals from mom are definitely the healthiest. <laughs> but if we treat that as a problem in itself, then again, you know, that's another layer of distance we put between ourselves and and food and and how we relate to food and our sense of acceptance and the in the larger community and culture that's true dr sen i I actually had a question in regards to the healing process i don't you may have already touched on this a bit but if someone is at the level where it's getting to the extreme points of you know either body dysmorphia or eating disorder what is a healing journey of someone that's going through that look like at its most extreme i think eating disorders are literally life-threatening you know people do die of eating disorders so that's something to be taken seriously especially when we talk about anorexia um the healing journey can be in some ways lifelong because once it gets to that place of rigidity it's not just a behavior it becomes a way of thinking a way of being a way of finding control perhaps in life that may otherwise feel out of control so it has a lot of reasons for for being the way it is and when those reasons are in place then that becomes your go-to behavior that becomes your go-to coping it's really hard to give it up unless you have 
other ways of coping put in place. And it's and this is why it's complicated because it's a way of thinking, it's a way of behaving, and it's a way of um, literally living because it can define your lifestyle. People start with a lot of some behavioral treatments. And I think addiction models are often used for some of these behaviors, almost treated like an addiction. Um, and the tricky thing is that you can't do without food, you've got to eat. Now, some addictions, you can kind of just like cut it out. You know, maybe you don't ever really need to have alcohol in your life I and mean, you, you can still live without it, but you can't live without food. So you still have to have it. And you have to also change your relationship with it. That becomes tricky. So the healing journey can be long, can sometimes be lifelong, but it doesn't mean that it's it's hopeless, but I think it, it's, it requires a lot of patience in many cases. I think the ideal would be for us to address it at the level of, understanding some of these things so it doesn't get to that point you know um, but if it if and when it does I think it's also important to recognize that we need to be patient we need to be realistic about what's possible and we can't just tell people don't do this or just do that because of that with that simple they would have so just like we we focus on rewiring some of our internal mm-hmm. messages so in a way it's kind of approached in the same way yes what you're saying yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think, again, having a community support is really important. Um, Community meaning within the family, but also community in the sense of other people who might be struggling in a similar way, you know, because I think eating disorders can tend to be very isolating. They happen in the context of a lot of withdrawal and a lot of um, hiding and shame. So I think having some level of community around that can make a difference in that you know, we can, that sense of feeling affirmed and understood is possible. Um, I think that like that feeling of isolation for me, it sort of went away when I started opening up about my, my struggles with other people and just mm-hmm. like, it was very, very hard. Cause it's yeah. like, it's something that's so like you, you feel so ashamed and you don't want to, but like at some point you kind of just have to. And I think like talking about it to people that you're close to helps a lot. And then I think like I can also touch on this a little bit, but I feel like you're like, I think it's right. Like it never really goes away fully, but I think it can go away to the point where it's not impacting your daily life as much anymore. And you can kind of find freedom from it in a way where it's, it is in the back of your head lingering, but it becomes smaller and smaller and smaller. That's the goal of it. That is beautifully put. I, I couldn't have said it any better or any different. Um, I think it's about decreasing the real estate it has in your life. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not thank you for sharing that, Dursti. Yeah. I hope it helps someone. (laughs) That's the whole point of us. (laughs) Right. Well, and one last thing I do feel like is worth saying is that relating to people as whole people and not just their appearance you know, being just as aware, if not more aware of their personality, of their skills, of their talents, of their, just of all the different qualities that make them who they are and being able to address that and be able to recognize and relate to that versus only think in terms of what does this person look like? Um, I think that as a mindset would be a really important part of the healing journey or hopefully the preventing the preventive journey so that we're not just focusing on on one aspect which is the appearance when we think about a person and their and how we think about them that's that, true like we were talking about earlier there's so many things that can define a personality not just body image and we need to i think as a society be better role models 
shift the focus and <laughs> conversation? I mean, I think in terms of like when we talk about, let's say, arranged marriages and so on, like we know so little about the person and and yeah. sometimes the appearance is pretty much all you are working with because other like, than those few details on yeah. biodata, you the know? The first thing you'll see is their height and their skin tone. Like, yeah. And then it'll be their education and all the right. other things. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we have some specific reasons why we also get really focused on that. But if we really stop and look at the whole person, whether it's in that context or any context, I think that's a very important part of um, addressing. Yeah. Once again, thank you for tuning in and a huge thank you to Dr. Rocky Zen for always coming on and sharing her knowledge with us. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, share it. Visit us on our website, manmukti.org. If there's any specific topic you want to hear from us or a guest speaker you'd like to hear on the podcast, definitely comment on our social media posts. In the meantime, take care of your mind, body, and soul. This is Kiran Deep, signing out.